Well, is that the song of your heart this morning? I think as we think about the great things that Christ has done for us, how can we do anything but return back to Him our wholehearted love, to love Him with all our hearts and with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our body, to love the Lord? Well, there are two ways to try and live Christian virtues. One is good, one is not so good. Our Father and our God, as we peer into your word this morning, you have something to instruct us. You, you desire for our hearts to know the fullness of what Christ has accomplished on the cross of Calvary for us. Father, forgive us for having such a thin theology and, and walking in, in ways that, that uh, miss out on the fullness of divine power. Lord, I pray this morning that uh, you'll continue to open up the eyes of our hearts with new insight that, that is not hidden from us. It, it's been there all along, but, but Father, so many of us have, have missed the opportunity to really, um, to really incorporate in, uh, in our lives all it means to have the, the features of Christ dwelling in us richly. So, Lord, I pray that um, there might be no confusion to what's being presented today, but it might be very clear crystal clear as to what you want to get across to us from your word. We're asking in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the one way to try and live the Christian virtues is based upon conviction, self-will, and raw determination, believing that the upside to Christian virtues is personal benefits. In other words, being nice to people is just emotionally healthier for me, and uh, it's good for business. Uh, We attract, of course, more flies with honey than you do with something else. And so there's this idea that maybe maybe you ought to just treat sermons like we would a Dale Carnegie seminar. How to win friends and influence people in six easy steps, if that's what Dale teaches. I have no idea. I didn't take his course. That's why I have so few friends and influence so few people. But anyway, um, there's a fair amount, by the way, of Christian literature and the companion secular counseling literature that, that sources the good Christian values but makes a quick leap to practical reasons and ramifications with why we should try to incorporate these things into our lives. In other words, we start out by asking the question of every Christian virtue, why is obeying or practicing this virtue best for me? I, I'm sure you know where I'm going with this and you can appreciate why I'm uh, uh, amped up about this kind of thing, like children requiring candy to be good, and there are pastoral parents out there only so uh, happy to be able to provide it, with the idea that you mean I can, I, can, I can take this difficult requirement upon myself and it'll be so sweetly beneficial to me? Great. I'm in. Count me in. Like rabbits paraded in front of carrots instead of being people paraded in front of Christ, which is what I want to talk to you about this morning. Dale Carnegie's seminars can change how you act, but never who you are. And and Christianity, Christianity makes a different claim. Christianity bases Christian virtues and founds them upon relentless faith in the person and work of Christ on the cross. Actually believing that Christian virtues become us. 
That's the dividing line that I want to talk to you about. To choose Dale Carnegie Christianity, in quotation marks, which is no Christianity at all, rather than Christianity itself as a life shaper, is to remain an actor as opposed to a new creation. It's um, getting the idea that we can coach ourselves into better behavior as opposed to having the change necessary in our character. The problem with this is that morality that's motivated and predicated on human skills and benefits always has a shelf life. It only succeeds as long as the the moral effort that I put into this and the benefit that I'm likely to get is worth all the emotional toll and energy that I have to expend. If I believe that the, uh, the reward at the end of the journey is not worth the effort that I'm putting into it, I might bail. And that's the challenge on our lives in this, this very important issue of Christian character, Christian virtues. As soon as the personal benefit no longer outweighs the moral effort, the moral character choice is jettisoned. And the Apostle Paul had a lot to say about that. this. He says, you can't build a life of confidence in the flesh. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, and following. He, he is uh, certainly a, 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 a credible uh, character study in the issues of um, fleshly character. And he, and he gives his personal resume to the Philippians in writing that letter and says to them, like, if it were possible to be better character-wise on the basis of fleshly effort, I'd be at the top of the list. In terms of religious passion and commitment to self-righteous living and trying to be good, I'm at the graduate level of that effort. But it didn't do me any good. It didn't change who I was. And so it's absolutely imperative for us when we consider Christian virtues to get a hold of the reality that before you came to know Christ... You tried to be good. You tried to to, uh, manufacture character qualities that would put you in good stead with other people. But after you came to know Christ, a new work happened in your life. A a new energy came to your life. Um, In fact, you you now are operating under divine strength. And and so this morning, I want to talk to you in terms of our next proposal on Live Big on the matter of forgiveness. And um, you've heard it said, I'm sure, that the major practical reason for forgiving people is because to do so is to set the main captive free who happens to be you. Uh, I'm, it, it's impossible, almost virtually impossible or difficult to find a Christian book on forgiveness or certainly the secular companion volumes on the idea of forgiveness without finding that this is the primary motivation that they put forth in terms of forgiveness. Forgive people. Because when you forgive people, you release the major captive in this whole bitterness and and challenge of your life. You release yourself. Well, I want to ask you this morning, does that seem to be a really good reason for why, or a good motivation for why we ought to forgive people? And and by the way, to, to my shame or whatever word you want to use. I've preached this before. And I I want to tell you that it's consequentially true. 
There's no question about that. That if you forgive someone, there are upside benefits that you experience emotionally yourself. But if you race to the practical finish line, forgiveness is in danger of becoming just another instrument in your self-centered toolbox. In other words, I'm forgiving people so that I can get some benefit out of it. And that's the danger. And, And by the way, that's what Christ died on the cross to save us from. That we would somehow try to orient our lives and orient our, 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 the lives of morality and ethics on the basis of trying to produce it in our own strength. I mean, think for a second of Christ on the cross, gasping his last breath, and saying to his heavenly Father, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they're doing. Now, would any of us for one second think that Christ, at that moment on the cross, was trying in some way to release his bitterness and his captivity to himself, that somehow he could say, oh, good, I got that over with, I'm feeling so much better about myself. I don't think any of us would think that. So why would we put at the very front of our motivation for forgiving something that Christ himself would never have done? Christ legitimately and authentically, while he was on that cross, was asking his Father, not for his own personal benefit, but that those around who didn't understand what they were doing would come to know what what he meant, would come to know a personal relationship with Christ, would have their debts released by the Father in heaven. It was a genuine offer of forgiveness with no personal strings attached. Well, you've heard what the counseling books say and what sometimes we preach. But Dr. Phil forgiveness is not Christ forgiveness. The Bible says something entirely different. In a paraphrase of Galatians 5.4, let me restate the issue. You who are trying to manage your righteousness through self-will motivated by personal benefit have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. The at issue here, in this matter of forgiveness, or any Christian virtue for that matter, is the danger that you might become confident in the flesh to motivate your righteousness. It didn't work before the cross, and it won't work, After the cross, it will not work in your life, somehow bypassing faith. If it's done by flesh or motivated by flesh, it isn't by faith. And Paul, in that same sermon, by way of letter to Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, says this, The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. So... um, Instead of opening up the counseling books, let's open up the book, God's book, to Colossians chapter 3. And I want to share a couple of thoughts with you, and then we will celebrate the Lord's table together. Colossians, uh, beginning actually a couple of verses in chapter 2, and uh, landing in chapter 3. 
Paul writes this to the Colossians in chapter 2, verse 20. Since you died with Christ. He's, he's writing, of course, and speaking to Christians who come to faith in Christ, come to know him as personal Savior. Since you died with Christ. And, and the question is, in what way did we die? Well, he, he mentions here, you died to the basic principles of this world. The very thing I've just been talking to you as by way of introduction. The basic principles of the world. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, by the way. And mentioned that sourced under all of these, these uh, basic principles of the world is not God, but de- demonic The basic principles of the world, human strategies and tactics, the elementary principles, the way you try to behave on your own strength. Paul is wanting all of us to know that when you came to faith in Christ, you died to those basic principles, recognizing that they weren't able to function in your life with any success, and now you are sacrificing them, surrendering them, And now there's going to be a new power in your life. And so he says that. Why, Why? then he asks, as though you still belong to it, do you submit it to its rules? Now, if this were not possible or not usual for Christians, he wouldn't have bothered writing Christians about this. But frankly, this is where our lives get stunted. This is where we get derailed and and we don't grow into the image of Christ in in the way that Christ has in mind for us. We continue to rely on the basic principles and human strategies uh, of how how to behave and how to live. Like, I'll forgive people by way of the motivation that I'm going to get something out of it. That's a basic principle of the world. And so he continues by saying, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. He's talking about any number of things, about religious regulations and personal moral choices and ethics. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, with their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Stop relying on earthbound, fleshly strength, human tactics and start lifting up your eyes and your expectations and looking for your help in a higher place. You came to faith in Christ, the God of the universe. Surely there's got to be something that's going to, uh, some, some power, some divine help, some energy that comes from that. Down to verse 9. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and in the image of its creator, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You might say, well, I'm sorry, but I'm Italian. I can't help it. I have a flaming temper. 
I, I would go through a whole litany of ethnic variety just to save myself from being in trouble with all the Italians, but we don't have time. <laughs> but if Paul can write it, I can say it. Don't, you know, don't talk to me about your cultural customs or your ethnic background or the ways you used to do things. Did it work for you? No, it did not. Therefore, verse 12, as God's chosen people who have Christ is all and is in all, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, now, what it says here is bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. It doesn't say, at least I can't read it, that forgive so you can first be first in line to receive release. You see that there? You won't find that. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, by the way, this needs to go in two directions. Because we only have time for one sermon, we'll do one direction this morning, we'll do the second direction next time we have a chat. But this morning, I want to talk to you in this one direction which will seek to answer the question, how can I do that? Do what? Well, how can I... How can I offer to people divine style forgiveness? Isn't that what he's saying you got to give? You got to bring forgiveness as the Lord forgave you. So if you think for one second you could pull this off with your human strength or your old traditions or old strategies that you used to have or something that your grandmother taught you 50 years ago on how to forgive people, you got another thing coming to you because she couldn't possibly enable you or he or whoever tried to teach you this stuff couldn't possibly have enabled you to do divine style forgiveness. And we need to take some time, at least a couple of weeks or more on this kind of thing because I, I'm convinced in a room this size in the areas of forgiveness, there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of hurt and, and there may be a lot of hurt that's been entrenched over years and years and years. This forgiveness matters a big deal. I recognize that. The Word of God recognizes that. God recognizes that. So much so that He says, you can't forgive people on your own strength. You you need me. So so how do we do this? Well, back up earlier in your your text. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live in Him. Now, how did you receive Christ Jesus as Lord? By faith. You received Christ Jesus as Lord. By faith. Now, how are you supposed to live after that? By faith. The same way you receive Christ, you are to live Christ. um, You've acquired Christ. And by the way, notice what Paul slips in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through, he says it again, hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition or strength and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. And I want to submit to you that we default to flesh because we are flesh. 
And, and it is a, is a challenge to, to uh, understand and recognize what we have in Christ. And, and by the way, you, 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 that you've acquired Christ, you've acquired Christ through forgiveness of your sins. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So by the way, since you have inherited forgiveness, you can export forgiveness. Those people who have never been forgiven can't really forgive. But that's not our excuse. We have been granted forgiveness in order to forgive. And by the way, we're told to take off our old self practices and put on our new self. Take off the old ways of doing things and put on our new self, which is being, it says here, renewed in the image of Christ. Look at verse 10. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. We are clothing ourselves, when it says in scriptures, you are now, because you've come to know Christ, you have the uniform of Christ, the under armor of Christ. You have this new ability now to manifest who Christ is. Now, um, the way that you do that is, is to recognize who you are. And, and so he says here that you are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Now, we could take a long time on this, and we, we, we would need to in order to properly recognize the greatness of God and what He's done for us. But, but I'll just give you a hint as to, to spend some time on yourself just soaking in this, this teaching, in this reality, that, that, that recognizing that who you are, before you, before you were even thought of by any human being, before the foundation of time, God knew you and, and set you apart to... To, to manifest the, the works of Christ in your life. He chose you to, to be holy, to be special, to be in His family, to uh, receive the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit in your lives, to no longer be frustrated at, at, at I can't be merciful, or I can't be gentle, or I can't be humble, or I can't be forbearing, I can't be patient, I can't be kind, or I can't be forgiving. He, he chose you in advance to be this. It's an amazing thing. Let your faith soak there. Let, let, your, let your, uh, your understanding of God's grace just, just soak in that reality of being chosen by the king of the universe for this to happen in your life. To be set apart, holy unto the Lord. And it says here to be dearly loved by the king. We don't need special fleshly motivated incentives for us to prop up our emotions, like go and forgive people so you'll feel better about yourself. Wait a second. Chosen to be holy and dearly loved by the king of the universe. It ought not to get any, it doesn't get any better than that in terms of understanding the nature of our emotional soundness. This is who you are. Chosen, holy, loved. By the King of Kings. And when you know who you are, it makes it a lot easier to figure out how to dress. Doesn't it? Like every morning, Dr. Jan Stacy gets up, looks in the mirror, says, I'm a dentist. I ought to put my white coat on. Get my um, drill. And terrorize people all day. Because <laughs> that's who I am. 
that's why I go to Tim because I couldn't, I, I couldn't possibly go to you anymore. I mean, like, he knows who he is. We know who we are. We know who we are. And, and because we know who we are, it gives us a new motivation. There, there are real possibilities of trying to live out the Christian life for years and years and years with our same strategies and our same strength that we did before we came to know Christ. And quite honestly, that's why the church of Jesus Christ is pretty weak. Because that's what we're trying to do. And we're not making very much progress. Still struggle with lack of forgiveness of each other, lack of unity, lack of kindness, lack of mercy. See, forgiveness will grow out of who I am rather than what I want. There's a huge difference here. We're, we're, we're asked to soak in God's grace, which sets you up to be merciful and kind. See, the point is that, that we are already at a disadvantage in terms of forgiveness if we aren't merciful. Because mercy requires that I... I offer somebody something that they desperately need, but I really don't want to give it to them. And so we're already at a battle in terms of self-centeredness. God forbid that we would try to motivate ourselves to forgive people with self-centered motivation. We're already there. Let's not feed that fire But rather, let's grow with an appreciation and a new motivation of who we are. We can be merciful and kind because we are now functioning with divine power. That we can be humble and gentle, losing our pride, going back to the cross and realizing that Jesus took us in even while we were yet sinners. Who am I to be proud? That God chose me before I did anything good or bad. Who am I to be all uppity about anything good about myself? And so we go back to the cross all the time and recognize that that I, I, I need to be humble and gentle. And then growing out of mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness comes patience. And the the original word there is the word for long suffering. This stuff that Jesus is strengthening us to do isn't something you knock off with, with a, some sort of um, emotional well-being or, or good feeling. This is the hard work of divine energy in yourself. Let me just stop and pause right now for, to make a, a marriage comment because it is probably the... the, the, the it is probably the, the, the arena where this issue of forgiveness is most needed and most necessary. I mean, if we're going to take the leap, the, the practical leap to the front line of, I'll forgive so I can release myself, we are going to miss the opportunity to grow in the likeness of Christ. And in so doing, by the way, there's going to be a lot of forgiveness necessary. Because the less Christ-like you are, the more forgiveness you need. 
And so if you're not joining the program that, that God has for you and wants to you will continue to try to forgive for a while, which is motivated only on the flesh, until you lack energy or decide you just can't take it anymore and you quit. But if God is changing my life and I become a more merciful person and a kinder person and a more humble person and a more gentle person and a more long-suffering person and a more forbearing person, I will be a forgiving person. Now, how do I do this? Is it as simple as prayer? Well, in a way, yes. If you come to know Christ... And a situation presents itself to you. It's about, first of all, having a prayer life that welcomes the transforming work of Jesus into our lives. And then I want to tell you, at a moment of decision, where I have a decision to be merciful or unmerciful, Christians are energized and equipped to choose mercy at that moment. And if you choose mercy at that moment you will be strengthened to be merciful. You know, you're not going to wake up and say, guess what, today I have suddenly become a PhD in mercy, kindness, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and forgiveness. It's never going to happen that way. But I can tell you, decision by decision to obey, to say, Lord, this is a moment that's going to require mercy, and I need to take a pause, and I need to ask you to, to help me to be merciful. And you act merciful at that moment, he will strengthen you. If you choose to be unmerciful and you're a Christian, you're doing it on your own strength. You're totally on your own. Christ isn't helping you with that. And so Christ is is offering us in salvation, what we're going to commemorate in a few moments, what he's offering us in salvation is you choose this stuff and I will strengthen it to happen in your life. And the more it happens, the more Christ strengthens us, the more we rely on him by faith, saying, I I can't be kind, I can't be merciful, but I know that you have saved me and rescued me to do this by your strength. And by faith, the same faith I trusted you to save me is the same faith I'm going to trust you to sanctify me and enable me to do this. And so I'm going to choose this at this moment. And the strength will arrive by God's grace to do what God wants you to do. And I believe this stuff all works along on a process so that Christ, his person, and his work will build a case in your life for the complete new person makeover. Moved by who you are, not by cheap benefits you hoard for yourself. So that now, after all of this, he says in verse 13... You can bear. Bear with each other. The word therefore bearing or endure people. Their annoying habits, mannerisms, idiosyncrasies, weaknesses. You think that might be helpful in marriage? (laughs) Nobody wants to really acknowledge a whole lot right now. Okay, just pretend the curtain is drawn. Come on. You only have to live with your best friend for a couple of weeks. And, and you're, you know, you're like, what in the world? That is the strangest idiosyncrasy I've ever seen. 
And then you realize, hey, I must have some idiosyncrasies too. Well, not me, but, but a lot of people would. That's why it's so hard to be with each other over the long haul. That's why we have serial friendships and serial marriages and, and serial pastorates. They come from place to place, bouncing around, because we can't get along with each other because of our mannerisms and idiosyncrasies. We don't forbear each other because we don't have Christ-likeness. And when all of that is packaged together and working in your life, it says here, forgive each other their grievances and their sins. And by the way, the word that's used here, the original word, means freely, graciously. You get nothing. That's the word that's used for forgiveness here. Not so that you will be set free, benefit yourself, and tell that person to get lost. No, graciously, freely benefiting them. And, and as I look at a listing of these words and phrases that I've put together from this text, I see stuff like soaking in God's grace. This is all about his kindness to us, even though we don't deserve it. I see losing my pride. I, I see long-suffering. The word suffering there is for a reason. And patience. We've, we've sanitized it in English. But the Greek word is long-suffering. Being patient is suffering. Let's call it what it is. Forbearing each other is enduring people. Forgiving people is Graciously giving them something if you get nothing. You see why none of this will ever work in terms of being motivated by the flesh as the end goal? It's all about the work of God's Spirit in our lives. And I don't know about you, but when I hear those phrases put together, it doesn't even remotely imply getting anything other than the prize and the treasure which is everything, of becoming more and more like Christ. Which is why we're commemorating his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that he might live his life in us. So, let me just drive home this faith lesson one more time. I grew up back in an era where we didn't have as many hockey rinks as they have today, so we had to learn to play hockey on the frozen pond. And um, you had to come to depend on the ice to hold you. But there was only one way to find out if that were true or not. By faith, going out on the ice and skating. And so it is with these virtues whether it be forgiveness or forbearance or patience or mercy or kindness or gentleness, by faith, believing that Christ will strengthen you, you walk in the Spirit, trusting Him to bring the strength you need to forgive or to be patient or to be kind. On and on it goes. And that faith is believing that Jesus will deliver on what he's promised. And that kind of faith pleases God. 
and we grow to be more and more like Christ. Our Father, I pray this morning as we tackle this responsibility and requirement and new virtue that we have in Christ called forgiveness, as we look at this for the next little bit, I pray, Father, that we might recognize that we can't do this in our own strength. We never could. And that we need to stop trying to. That you have empowered us by divine power so that by trusting in you, by faith, believing that you will cause us to be forgiving, we can forgive. May none of us allow the other to say we are not merciful, we are not kind, we are not patient, we are not humble, we are not gentle, we are not forgiving. We are in Christ, all of those. By faith, we will live out the Christ life to your glory. In Christ's name we pray.